Hello and welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are finishing up our coverage of the Throne of Glass series by Sarah J. Mass by talking about the last book in that series, The Behemoth, known as Kingdom of Ash, clocking in at, what is it, 998 pages? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we're really excited to be at the end of this journey, sad as it is, but we're even more excited to be joined today by recurring guest, our friend Aubrey. Hey, Aubrey. Hey, guys. Excited to be very emotional about this book tonight. Oh, my gosh. I think we've all pretty much accepted that we're going to sob, like every one of us. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's no other choice here with this book. And this is also very fitting, I think, to Aubrey. I was thinking about how you were on our very first Akatar episode. And oh, since yeah. then, we have covered every Sarah J. Moss book. Um, and then here you are at the end. So I like that full circle for us. I love that. It's it's a reunion to rival that of some of the reunions we have in this <laughs> book here today. <laughs> so it's perfect. It's great. I love it. Um, you know the drill. Uh, we always start off with talking about what we're into these days as our guest. Why don't you hit us with what you've uh, been obsessing over these days? Yeah, so I think like everyone, I've been a little overwhelmed by all of the content available right now. Um, but I did just read Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, which mm-hmm. is her newest book. She wrote Station Eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read it for my book club, for my feminist sci-fi book club, Ooh. because it is a sci-fi novel. It's just, her writing is just so good. Like, yeah. I started the book at lunch and had to go back to work and was like pissed <laughs> had to go. Um, and it's a short one. So like it goes pretty quickly, but um, it just it has a lot to say about uh, life in the pandemic. You can tell mm-hmm. this is her pandemic novel. One of the characters is an author who wrote a book about a pandemic who's on book tour where people are just asking her questions about her pandemic novel as another pandemic is starting. Um, no, sounds so familiar. Feels a little bit like maybe Emily uh, inserted herself into this novel. Yep. But um, it takes place in like different time periods. They're all united by having this weird um, experience where they hear a plane taking off and music playing and they see a forest and mm. it's like across different timelines or different time periods all of them have had the same thing and they see each other so trying to figure out what is the cause of this anomaly and what it means um so yeah I thought it was really like beautiful and it's literary but it doesn't feel heavy even though there is the pandemic in it at certain parts um there's kind of a lightness to it so that was really good and then I finished the prison healer series which I feel Mm. like y'all have talked about before Mm -hmm. um what did you think of the end that just came out a couple of days ago at the time of this recording yeah I thought it was good I don't think any of the books in the series quite hit the highs of that very first book and the twist in that like I felt like the the twist in the end of this I more saw coming um a little bit but it still felt satisfying which is always hard to pull off of yeah you know I've got some complaints but um I'm trying this new thing for me which is if I have a physical copy of a book coming 
I'm not going to immediately buy the ebook just so I can read it right away. And so I, I have the fairy loot editions of the prison here series, and I won't get that third book for God knows how long, but I have a hold on at the library. I'm number one. It just needs to come in stock. And I'm trying <laughs> to be very patient to not buy the same books multiple times. Like it's just not sustainable. Yeah. So I'm trying to be really good and try to keep my FOMO at bay with that one, but it's a new leaf. It's hard. Yeah, that's that's a tough thing. I only have these on ebooks, so like that made it easier. Like that's that's how I bought them, so yeah. that's where they stay. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, Tejo, what are you into these days? Well, um, I read My Mechanical Romance by Alexine Farrell Fulmoth, um, Fulmoth, um, aka Olivia Blake, who wrote The Atlas Six. Mm-hmm. Um, this and Alone with You in the Ether. This one is her first YA book and it's her first traditionally published book and um, the first one that she published under her own name and not her pen name. Um, but it's got a lot of the like Olivia Blake hallmarks that you might come to expect from her, which is like a lot of a lot of sciencey kind of stuff happening. But um, I really, really liked it. It was it's kind of shocking to me, like how adept she is and really like any sandbox that she's playing in because she does like the, the sci-fi kind of weird fantasy stuff in Atlas six and like the really, um, contemplative kind of, uh, literary romance and, and alone with you in the ether. And then here she does YA and it's very like contemporary YA. And it completely, like, she does it so well. She does each of these genres, like, she can just splash in any pool that she wants, and she does it so well. It's kind of maddening. But, um, yeah, it's it's a girl, like, a new girl at this private school. She ends up joining um, the robotics team, and it's kind of a, almost like an enemy, or, like, academic rivals to lovers. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's great. She did a really good job. It's it's upsetting how, how good she is <laughs> how honestly dare. because it felt like you know like, like the atlas six doesn't feel like alone with you in the ether it doesn't feel like like my mechanical romance she's just she can do all of these things and it still sounds distinctly like her but distinctly different yeah. um it's I, I don't know it's wizardry so um i did that and i also um thanks to one corinne have been um, obsessing over uh, Lisa Klaibus's Ravenel series. I just would like to insert here, though, that this <laughs> is another full circle moment because the reason I got obsessed with that was because of Aubrey. So this is like a yeah. beautiful chain here. <laughs> I know. I think Aubrey is like our origin, uh, yeah. historical romance origin story. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of DMs about the Ravenel series <laughs> between yeah. Corinne and I. Me yeah. Aubrey's, uh, Aubrey's a patient zero in the. Uh, yeah. <laughs> historical Truly. romance pandemic that Truly. we were suffering through um, anyway continue <laughs> yeah the Ravenels it's it's great I love what I love most about historicals I think is like the um how connected like interconnected these series are um I love a long series that fall, follows an entire family you know and then like that family's children and that family's great you know I, I love the interconnectedness of historical romance and I mean that's what you get with the Ravenels too. It's, it's following like the whole family with their cousins and, and then it ties into, I think some of Lisa Clavis's other series. Um, yeah. It's just, it's fun. It's fun. It's pure like popcorn 
I'm not necessarily sustaining myself on it, but it makes me feel really fucking good. It makes me happy and it makes me cozy. Mm -hmm. And when everyone, I'm really overwhelmed by all the media that we're inundated with and it feels like there's too much to, to watch and I can't pick anything. There's too much to read and I can't pick anything. I can always go to a historical romance and get myself out of any, any slump that I'm in. So that's been very comforting and nice. Um, this month has also been the month of uh, Kindle Unlimited monster romances for me, more so than usual, <laughs> if you can believe that. Um, I've read like, I read like three of them in two days. I, don't know what's happening over here um I'm also blaming a friend of the pod Martha um for that one as well but the last one I read is um it's called sweet berries and it is about a it's a mothman it's a mothman and just you know know. I'm here for it (laughs) I don't know I have to okay so I have to read you the um title of another book that I read that was because of Martha because I saw her market on Goodreads Mm. and I was like what the fuck is that because the title of this book is absurd it's called um that time I got drunk and yeeted a love potion at a werewolf (laughs) incredible (laughs) it's actually I mean it's the the book delivers everything the title promises um it, it's it remains like that kind of absurdly funny through the whole book and it was just really fun really silly really fun um yeah you know that's another thing to get you out of any slump that you might be in just go on kindle unlimited and download any random monster romance and it's a guaranteed interesting time at the very least the, the difference between the love interest in a monster romance and like the Ravenel series just <laughs> quite the spectrum. We don't I need love to it. like dissect what that says about my mental state. No, it's, it's great. Again, escapism <laughs> is the name of the game these days. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's great. I love that journey for you as always. <laughs> Support you in your endeavors. Um, yes. I think my form of escapism right now has like accidentally been like books that focus heavily on summer because I'm just like here sweating in the city and not like on vacation, but I've read three books kind of in a row that are like summer romances with like now then back in uh, fourth chapters, which is was start off coincidentally and has kind of developed from there. The first of them when Jesse was here last time talking of Tower of Dawn, she mentioned some mistakes were made by Kristen Dwyer, which I did finish reading since we recorded that episode. And it was so good. That is summer only in that it happens in summer. It's not set at a vacation home like these next two I'm going to talk about, but um, it's a house on a lake and it's the now chapters over 4th of July week. And it's a YA contemporary romance about these two teens who in the now timeline haven't spoken in a year and had a really messy end to their relationship and you don't know why and it flashes back and you you learn that the the girl um was sort of raised in this boy's family after having some bad experiences with her own parents um who were kind of neglectful towards her beautiful prose just like kind of laid on plot, but it didn't matter. But then like how it tied up at the end was just like really beautiful and moving. And uh, it was a debut by Kristen Dwyer. I really look forward to seeing her write more someday. So then that made me want to read this book that you may have seen all over on bookstagram 
It's called Every Summer After by Carly Fortune, another debut. This book is definitely a summer romance. It's a girl who falls in love with a boy next door to her parents' summer home. And uh, people are going nuts over this book on on Bookstagram. And I, I love the book Love and Other Words by Christina Lauren. And it gave me, the synopsis gave me similar vibes to that. It was good with some big asterisks. Um, nothing that is going to stick with me long-term, but definitely an enjoyable read that I read in one sitting and could not put down. But then it did just make me want to reread Love and Other Words, which is the God tier book of this genre, of this like very specific niche subgenre. If you've not read it, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. I just listened, finished listening to the audiobook the other day and, oh God, this book is so good. Um, again, about a couple, um, who met in childhood, her big, uh, weekend home is next to this boy's house and they have share a love of reading and, um, it's 11 years in the future and they're apart and you don't know why. And uh, the feelings of that book, I just like, I can't talk about it. So like, that's the gold standard, Apologies to maybe some of these other books that don't live up. Some mistakes were made, did. But uh, anyway, it's just, it was so good. And Macy and Elliot forever. <laughs> ah, it's so good. I love that book. It's so freaking good. I like, but this is my Goodreads review, but I first read that book on a like red eye flight to Europe. So like in the middle of the night, like in an airplane. And my friend has this theory that like any media you consume in an airplane, like just hits differently. Like you're more emotional because you're just like in a pressurized air tube, um, traveling at the speed of, of light basically. So I wasn't, <laughs> I couldn't trust myself that I actually did really love that book. And then it was that good, but I was right. Um, awake me during normal daytime hours and flat ground did, did like that book a lot. I remember so. Love and Other Words felt like it came out of fucking nowhere with Christina. Because I, I was a fan of Christina Lawrence from like, I read their first book years ago and just kind of continued to follow. Most of them are very kind of light on on big plot and big, you know, stuff like that and, and heavy on like the, the porn basically. Yeah. Um, and then this book. It was like they went from writing these really raunchy rom-coms and then this book they released. And I remember being completely floored by it. And I was, you know, at the time I was like, is this because I'm expecting something really light and raunchy and I'm getting this really thoughtful, devastating book? Um, No, it really is just really thoughtful, devastating. It's just really good. And that was the one that told, I was like, oh, so they really can do this. Yeah. Um, They've been sometimes hit or miss, I think, but um, I mean, you read this book and you know that they've got, they've got it in them. It's so good. It's so good. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to stop crying about that and I'll save my tears for Kingdom of Ash. <laughs> but uh, I did also want to shout out while we were talking about historical romances, I did have an opportunity to read an arc of Heartbreaker, the newest Sarah McLean that comes out in August. Aubrey's <laughs> like giving me. <laughs> Death oh my stare. gosh I'm like yeah. so jealous right now uh, it was um really good guys like the best thing about arcs I find arcs to be tedious a lot of times ultimately like the deadlines don't work for me and they start to stress me out so I've really cut back on on requesting a lot of them unless it's something I know I really want to read and it's super 
it, this reminded me of like why it's so fun to like request them because the high of getting something you really, really want to read is like unmatched. And then it's like dropping yeah. everything to read it. I like told myself I would give myself like finish the book I was currently reading and then I would switch to it. Lies. I'm a liar, <laughs> um, but it's really good. It's, it is a trope that doesn't really appeal to me super much in historical romance, which is a road trip. It's just, I like a ballroom. I like an estate. Um, and not really for like an, an inn necessarily, but uh, it doesn't matter when the characters Unless it's are a week to be there. wicked. Unless it's a week to be wicked. Oh, Jesus. I can't talk about that book again. I'm still not over that um, That's by Tessa Dare. Also great. But that one... I don't know why that one feels a little different to me. This one feels very much road trippy, mm-hmm. um, but it didn't bother me and I really liked it. And she's just such a good example of like appealing to a modern reader without being anachronistic. And it's just kind of really staggering stuff. Like her characters act in a way that I feel like they would act. They're not like lobbying parliament themselves. And like, I just, mm-hmm. I don't really like a a true blue stocking type character in historical romances and her characters are just so great and so grounded and real. So. Yeah. It can easily feel really heavy handed, but it doesn't, yeah. it feels really natural in her books. Yeah, for sure. So I have that one pre-ordered, so I'm sure I will read it the day it comes out. Oh my God. You, <laughs> yes. And then tell me everything. I, will. I love that. My yeah. highlights are like out of control in the hard copy. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, and then this book, again, Behemoth, that it is, Doorstopper. Yeah, I don't even know if I like want to even do like a fake quick summary of Kingdom of Ash because honestly, a lot of this book, like the plot is war things, yeah. which is not what I'm really most interested in when it comes to revisiting this book and ultimately doesn't matter. Um, but I think we'll definitely touch on the big plot points when it comes to talking about all the characters. So um I'm or if we're good with dispensing with that we'll just move forward good yes yeah mm-hmm. all right I guess we let's start with the big ticket item here should we talk about Aelin yeah yeah we talked in the last episode about like the gall of Sarah Tumas to even write Tower of Dawn with Aelin in that box but then she also starts this book and it takes like five or six chapters before you even get to Aelin and it's like Sarah what are you doing Uh, It's very, it's very horrible. Um, I have to say that one of my most read chapters or series of chapters in like all of Sarah JMS is weirdly like all of the alien in the box stuff into the rescue. Like sometimes I just really like to feel pain and Mm -hmm. that stuff hits me really, really like in a spot that like hurts good. Like I like that type of pain. Um, it's, it's horrific stuff. It is. Yeah. And like the Fenris stuff, like her and Fenris, the whole thing is just, it's awful. It's truly it's, awful. But like you said, it really hurts in that, in that good way. Yeah. Yeah. She, it's a really good, like emotional manipulation in there too. Like the physical stuff is all, obviously awful, but like Maeve, like playing with her reality so that she like doesn't know whether things are real just as like. <laughs> it's just it, it, it's very effective in doing what it it does I just feel like in particular too, like the scar stuff the yeah fact that all of her scars were erased and she had just like you know her scars and her tattoos and she's left with this like slate skin and she had always considered her scars like you know this is my story this is proof that I 
of what I've been through and, and a, a remind a reminder of what I'm fighting for. And, um, you know, it's the story of her, of her life and her strength and having her lose that is such an effective blow. Yeah. It is just like a knife in the chest. It's, um, it's a lot. What do you guys think about just the fact that in and of itself, like Sarah chooses to torture her main character? Cause like on the one hand, I don't necessarily hate it because it comes at the hands of Aelin's entire journey about like how she needs to be this sacrifice so that her friends, her kingdom, all these things can move forward. But on the other hand, it's kind of like, hasn't this girl been through enough? Like she's been through some really terrible things. So like, do we have to torture her? It's just like kind of one of those decisions that if I don't really think about it too much, it's like, fine. I just read it. But then when I stop to think about it, you know, for a podcast or something like that, I'm kind of like, why are we doing this? Well, I feel like that, especially in, in conjunction with the fact that she loses, you know, 99.9% of her power in this book is that's kind of the blow that really hits. I feel like the, yeah, by the end of this book, honestly, I'm like, I don't, I almost don't even want Aelin to rule. I want her to have like a 10 year long vacation on a beach somewhere, zero responsibility, zero anything, but like good vibes. I just feel just, I feel so much for her. And, and like, it drives me kind of crazy because I'm thinking about like the people that hate Aelin and as a character, I just don't, I don't understand how you can read this series and especially read this book and, you know, just the sacrifices that she makes and just, I don't, I mean, (laughs) the way that she uses her arrogance as a front to hide Mm -hmm. everything that she is going through and that she has done, I mean, yeah, I don't know how you hate Aelin. Like she cares so much about the people that she cares about. And when she commits to Terrace and she commits, like she mm-hmm. knows what the end is for her. And yeah, she goes forward anyway. Yeah, the torture is is a lot. And I do have some feelings maybe about how Sarah treats her main female characters a little bit. Um, like, I don't know that we needed all of the torture yeah. that we got. Like, I think we could have sped that part up a little bit. Um, yeah. As much as I think there's a lot of really good emotional stuff there. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, why do we need to tear them down to bring them back up? But like, in this case, like, I don't even know how much we bring Aelin back up because, Again, we, we'll talk about her losing her powers, but like, she's not the one who like saves the day, which I love. I'm not criticizing that decision at all, but it's like, for, for what? And I have this noted down here too, but like, this is what she thinks when she's finally crowned at the end of the day, Erwin Maeve gone as they put the crown on her head and she sits on the throne. She thinks it weighed on her nestled against her bones, that new burden, no longer an assassin, no longer a rogue princess. Like, let our girl rest. Like, the yeah. end of the book, she's still, like, burdened. And it's kind of like, I understand that you can't, like, totally be happy when you have this, like, huge amount of responsibility. And that's kind of the path that, like, Dorian goes on, too, is, like, how do you, like, get what you want and be king and be all of these things that all these people expect of you. But it's just kind of like, I don't know what a happy ending for Aelin would have been, Um and it, it, it makes me feel very bittersweet that like 
she has Rowan, like her life's going to be great in so many ways, but it's still going to be hard. And so it's just like, why did she have to go through torture too on top of all that Sarah? And she's like going to be depowered and like have another like burden on her for her whole life. I don't know. I feel physically exhausted for her after reading this whole series and especially the events of this book. And it feels like, like, I think that the tension throughout this book, even though a lot of it's kind of war stuff that like, you know, my eyes start glazing over at a certain point because it's just battle after battle after battle. And, and they feel like they're losing the, the entire time. So it's like the tension, mm-hmm. that yeah. like level of tension that you're existing at just reading this book uh, for the entire like 989 pages or whatever it is. Um, I'm physically exhausted, like physically and mentally, emotionally exhausted by the end of it. So Aelin, I just, I honestly just want her to have like a nap, the longest, the yeah. longest fucking nap in the world. Yeah. 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 And then we have to talk about this and Tasia, I'll let you, I'll wind you up and let you go on this because I know this is <laughs> <laughs> big issue that you have, but like, we have to talk about like one of like her biggest moments in this book where she really has a chance to play a big role, kind of a botches things. Um, and that mm-hmm. is in trying to bargain for Elena's soul when she could be uh, forging the lock to banish Erwan. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> and it's not just that she's depowered like that in itself sucks, but it's like how it comes to be. And like, I have this big pet peeve um, really anytime uh, I read anything. If the author has their character make a decision or do something that feels a little bit out of character, like they take the savvy character. Um, so, and, and really who is savvier than Aelin? They have this savvy character and have them do something stupid that is purely in service for this plot movement that the author wants to happen. Um, I, it makes me, it pulls me out of the story. I can't, can attest. I was, as I was reading, I stopped and I messaged and I was like, like it, it made me stop in the middle of this thing. That's supposed to be this big emotional, it's supposed to be this big climactic moment. And I was just going, what? Like the suspension of disbelief was not, it was not disbelieving anymore. It was, I, I couldn't, it's really upsetting to me when a character, when a, an author has their character do something completely out of character like that. And like all of everything that happened is because of Elena. Right. Um, and Elena herself has accepted. And honestly, she has earned her fate, which is that she is to be like destroyed completely. And here's the thing. Elena had an entire fucking life, right? She lived an entire life. She died. She continued to like live her afterlife, which is what the Fae get or whatever, Fae and gods, whatever they get this eternal afterlife. She's had a thousand years of existence. And Aelin, Sarah wants me to believe that Aelin is going to go, I want to throw this all away for Elena. This person who has had their chance, who has lived their time, who has died their time, who has caused all this fucking upheaval in the first place. I want to give this all up. My chance to be Erewhon. I want to say, fuck my friends. Fuck this whole world. Let me give it all up for fucking Elena so she can continue her eternal afterlife. It makes zero sense. As a, as a character thing, like, and I know that Aelin is, um, she's got a savior complex the size of fucking planet Earth, but this is stupid. This doesn't even make sense for that because what she's doing is, is selling everybody out, the whole world for one person, for one person that's already dead. And it's just like, you could have put these, you could have gotten these pieces moving to where you needed to move them without making your main character do something so fucking dumb. 
Like it was stupid. It just, it made me mad in that moment. It pulled me out. It, yeah. The book got me back because there's still a ton of it left after it, after this moment. But I was mad for a long time. Corinne knows. <laughs> I was, was a ranting. Yeah. I yeah. think. I think what's extra bad about it is like, we've talked about this kind of throughout the episodes here is that like Sarah wants the gods to be more impactful or more meaningful than they end up actually being for me. Um, so like I can see a version of this story where we've learned way more about Elena or more about the gods and we really feel invested in them. And this feels like a worthwhile sacrifice. That is not what eight books brought us to, I don't think. No. And I think it it feels like a decision that is made because Aelin has too much power. And it's like the Wanda Captain Marvel problem in the MCU. Yeah. Like it's too much power, makes things difficult. So she wants to get rid of it. And also she wants to have a final confrontation with Maeve and Erewhon at the same time so like she's got to come up with a reason why he doesn't disappear I don't know I mean it feels to me like the gods could easily just like betray that because they don't really give a shit about people exactly because they clearly don't yeah yeah and then that wouldn't have felt quite so and she still could have had to use all of her power to you know shut the gate and throw you know send them all to hell yeah Um, it it all could have happened easily without (laughs) without her being like fuck everyone I guess save Elena yeah, yeah. Just, I, that decision, I just was always like, what? Yeah. What's going on here? Huh? Yeah. I'm like, I just don't care about Elena enough for no. that to make sense. Like, I, I mean, she was in the early books, but by the time we get to Kingdom of Ash, I'm just like, yeah, the Elena, whatever. Like, yeah, she did. And she thing. was always this like intentionally vague person that wasn't very helpful. That you know, and then you find out that she set all of this up anyway. It just, yeah, it doesn't feel earned at all. It doesn't make sense for for Aelin, savior of the people, to be like, fuck them people um, (laughs) over somebody that is already dead, you know, like over somebody who has like committed you to die or like lose all your power at least, but like pop she thinks die, like she's going to sacrifice her life here, like it's the path Elena set her on, but she's going to save her, like Come on. Yeah. Zero sense. Zero you know, sense. Yeah. It makes plenty of sense to me that she like kicks Dorian out of there so that like Dorian yeah. doesn't lose his power. Mm-hmm. But and I love that. Like I, I think it would totally make sense for her to have a moment where she's like, I wish I could do something for Elena. Yeah. But like not at the sacrifice of the the entire world, literally the entire world. You know, and that should be a moment of like, you know, she feels shitty for having to make this horrible choice, but instead she has, you know, Sarah has her make. <laughs> this really stupid decision for no reason for no plot reason because of the end the same shit happens anyway the gods betray them anyway like it's yeah i feel like it was there and there's no purpose for it and it just bugs yeah yeah and it doesn't really feel like i don't feel like i have seen anything in aelin before like with her relationship with elena that makes it make sense that she's emotionally that committed to her at that point Like, we don't see any of that struggle. We see her struggling with the idea that, like, she's going to sacrifice herself doing this. And that, like, part of her almost wishes that Dorian would do it first, but also not. Like, that struggle to me, that which is really strong and really powerful to see, yeah. like, you know, 
Aylan wants Dorian to live, but also she herself doesn't want to die. So, you know, it's really rich stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then we just get this Alina shit and it's like, okay. Yeah. You know, and then we get Aylan losing all her power and I just hate it. (laughs) I don't understand why it's such like a trope in YA. Like it feels like shadow and bone at the end. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. All over Shadow again. Bone and, and Nesta. Nesta. Yeah. I mean, even like spoilers for Bryce, but like Bryce isn't powerful on her own. Like she has to have mm-hmm. a man like give yeah. her the power to use it. It's just like, what are what are you doing, Sarah? Like, what are you saying here? Yeah. And even Farah has, supposedly has a ton of power, and yet she is like her character now has been basically delegated to be like, I'm just a happy housewife. Like, and that's fine, yeah. but like why are you talking so much about how powerful these people are? Like Amrin also yeah. lost her power. Yeah. Just, I don't think Sarah knows what to do. Like she overpowers these characters and then doesn't know what to do with them. So she has to bench them. Yeah. Except for Reese. Yeah. Except for Reese and except for Dorian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But here's why I think it bothers me less here in this scenario, because we talked so much about how we just want Aelin to get to rest and a huge part of why she had this huge burden on her. Her whole life was her power. And for better or worse, that's not really what Dorian's struggle is here. He has darkness that comes from something else entirely. And he was never going to be ready in this book to be the one to make these sacrifices because he hasn't had to live with it or be prepared for it to the same extent that Aelin has her whole life. So for her not to be called upon in the future to be the savior of the world in a potential Crescent City crossover, perhaps. I am happy for her <laughs> that she doesn't have to do that. That's and, fair. And I, it was, I just, her bone weary exhaustion at, uh, at this journey she's had to go on. I've talked a lot about a lot, it, a lot about it is what really speaks to me in these books. It's the core of like her and Rowan's relationship for me, like him just always being there for her. And, and, and so for her to just not have to worry about that aspect of it anymore. And just like ruling a country is going to be simple in comparison for her. And I'm happy for her. And I, I like to this moment and it's, this quote doesn't save everything, but like so not magic, not ever again, as it had been, but a strength greater, deeper than that Fireheart, Her mother had called her not for her power. The name had never once been about her power. And like, at the end of the day, that's like, I don't care about Aelin's power. That's how I like Aelin. She's, she's all of the things that we've talked about for eight episodes. And that's what makes her special. And she happened to have this superpower. Yeah. Um, and she says this too, she would endure it again. If asked, she would do it every brutal op- brutal hour and bit of agony and it would hurt and she would scream, but she'd face it, survive against it. Arobin had not broken her. Neither had Endovier. She would not allow this waste of existence to do so now. Her, her shaking eased her body going still waiting. So like that's her real strength and her real power to me um, are those other things. So I, it doesn't bother me to the extent that it didn't like basically every other example we rattled off here. It's still not great, but like it works for me on a level here that it doesn't in Akatar. Yeah. So that's, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that is fair. And I do, you know, you, when you say that it does make me think mostly cause I was rereading this part of it earlier today about when she stops the wave, when she like sacrifices her final blast for Maeve to save the army and to save 
to save her friends. Yeah. Um, that the, I can't remember. It's one of the, the Kaganate one, the prince maybe is standing there and she like sets all of fire. And he was like, that is no gift, that power. Like, and they're like, she just saved your entire army. And he's like, yeah, I, I yes, but no, like, yeah. So I, I mean, maybe Sarah, I wish maybe Sarah had done a little more with that yeah. where it would not feel there's so much about the way that Elon or if does- Sarah hadn't done that already to several other characters or like, yes. you know, or was going to do that in the future because I think she wrote this before we yeah, got to did. like Nessa and all that. So, yeah, I think um, if it didn't feel like such a trend, I would be mm-hmm. less bothered by yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I think because there's a lot of stuff about the way that Elon like loves her fire too and, and loves that power. And so it just, you know, so yeah. I always part. think of, I always though do like, there's that moment in the epilogue of the last shadow bone book where like Alina's playing with like the light or whatever. And it's like very wistful. I just like, don't feel like we get that here. So like, you know what I mean? So it's, it makes me feel better. She's got, yeah. she's got Rowan. They got a thousand years friends. Buckle <laughs> up, have those kids. Can't wait for you. They're going to build a library and a theater. They're going to be very happy. Yeah. I know. I usually don't care about like my, my, ships or whatever like having a million babies in the future but when Rowan sees like that vision of of all of their future kids it's you know a little little emo yeah no definitely I want that for them and then um Maureen's gonna help them have those those babies which is really what we wanted in Court of Silver Flames Mm -hmm. is someone like Maureen on the premises yeah it have been a little helpful Right. Where's your healer? I bet she knows how to do a C-section. <laughs> <She> <laughs> sure does. So yeah, Aelin. I mean, still love her. She's still the absolute best. None of this is to say that I don't love her still, but yeah. Oh yeah. And, and all of my problems with like that moment and that thing that she did, it's, I'm not mad at Aelin. I, I consider that like not Aelin. That was yeah. not Aelin. Aelin, yeah. that was Sarah. That was I Sarah. know Sarah writes all of Aelin, but you know, in my mind, that is a, yeah. there is a delineation there and that was not Aelin. So I do not blame her. I always remember on like one of our Raven cycle episodes, you were like mad at something that Adam did. I was like, that was not Adam Parrish. It was Maggie Potter. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, I don't care. And that's how that's how I feel too like Sarah has many many strong characteristics as a writer strong qualities sometimes it falls by the wayside but we have to brush past them otherwise um we get lost in the weeds in that yeah you'll see the forest for the trees um maybe while we are on Aelin and like her role in the end game let's talk briefly about Irene because I don't have a lot of Irene stuff in this book, but like, I absolutely love that. She's the one who saves the day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put this in my notes, but like my favorite thing is a chosen one story. That's not really a chosen one story. Yeah. Um, where you get to the end and like, you can't do it on your own. Like the idea that there's just like one savior or one Messiah is wrong. And so at the end of the day, it's like Aelin beats Maeve with the help of Rowan and with the help of the cadre. And then Yurim beats Erewhon. But it's also like, I mean, a lead like pins him to the ground with the sword. And And she's got Dorian like serving as an amplifier there too. Yeah. So it's, it's all of them together. It's the same thing. 
I will not spoil Wheel of Time, but Wheel of Time is like a chosen one story. That's not a chosen one story. And there's this end, like in the very last book, which is actually very similar to Kingdom of Ash because it's the last battle and it's just like a lot of battles. <laughs> um, where like their main character, their chosen one character thinks and he's like, it's not about me. It was about all of these people and like all of the things that they have brought to it. And it's it's a really like beautiful moment in that book. And I feel like this is the same thing and actually would not surprise me if Sarah had maybe read those because it feels <laughs> you know similarly there but yeah I just I do love that because it is true like you can't do things on your own like that's the real thing and that urine gets to use like a healing power yeah to save also feels really mm-hmm. just like lovely and beautiful yeah and it's so nice to like you know the tie the callback to Aelin being the one to like financially help Irene on this path to to doing it and that's just what makes the Irene stuff in in Assassin's Blades so good yeah yeah I saw a review of like negatively reviewing this book where it was like Irene spends like months trying to heal Kale and banishes Aaron on like instantly and I saw that. At, at first I was like <laughs> Maybe, but then I thought about it more and why I don't agree with that sentiment, which I'm just bringing up here. It's not like I, this person's going to argue with me, but like, I think that what makes Cal's journey so special is that like, he has goodness that's warring with like this evil part of the valve within him and you have to work to separate it. And he had to do that work and it was all very intertangled, mm-hmm. but, uh, everyone's pure evil. So like, bye more like, straightforward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And plus that was Irene first learning about this period. Like, you know, it was, yeah. the, you know, the first time exactly. you get in the car, you're figuring shit out and you're not a good driver. Yeah. The fucking 20th time, 50th time, 100th time you're in a fucking car, you know what you're doing and you can drive safely. That's Irene, yeah. you know, Kale was patient, again, <laughs> like patient zero. And he was yeah. like the, you know, yeah, her training wheels. Yeah. Training wheels and are off and she knows it. what she's doing. She's done yeah, it she's a been few doing times it through the whole book. Yeah. Right. Like it's not, it's not like it's new. She's been building up to it. Yeah. yeah. So, but like, I'd assume she gets better. There's a reason why like, you know, like brain surgery is like really hard. Like if you have to like, try to like just remove this one little bad thing versus just like, you know, Removing killing someone. Gallbladder. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I just wanted to bring that up because it really just, it's such a powerful moment. And I don't like anything that undercuts it. Um, I don't have much to say about Kale in this book because just, we, he had his time. Yeah. Um, we had a whole episode about Kale. I, I have some great, some of my favorite quote moments are Kale moments, which I'll save, but, um, he has some like lovely moments with Irene in this book. Like at the end, there's like no hesitation. He's just like proud of her when she goes out to like face Erwan and it's just like, what a journey for our boy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very proud of him. Yeah. Even though he knows his life is on the line at that point too. Um, not, not a hesitation in sight. So yeah, it is really just like a, like you see the kale that has come from tower of Dawn, who's like not defined by like what he can and can't do physically the way that he is when he first heads there. And, um, and I do have, I didn't put it in the quotes, but I do like his speech to Gabrielle about, Adion mm-hmm. when they're there and he's they're worried about reuniting and like will he forgive me for not being there and Kale's like he's always going to want to forgive you because 
you're his father and he'll just always want to. And then Kale's like, that's how he feels about his father, even as he finally does get to find out that um, his mom does love him more yeah. than his dad and that she just didn't get any of his letters because his father is yeah. a horrible person. Um, I liked those yeah. I mean, moments for him to get some some happy family at the end. Yeah, it's it's um, it's great that Cal has this impulse to like, obviously, he's going to go and try to save his home, his ancestral home and his his people that technically like he should be Lord of. Um, but this series has done such a good job of convincing me that Dorian is his family that I don't really care as much. I'm <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad for him that he got that like moment of being like, I'm, I'm in charge here and you don't really have the power over me that you had for so long. So that's good. Yeah. I did want to talk about, um, uh, just like the, the arene pregnancy thing. Mm. Um, it's not a huge gripe I have. It's just kind of like a minor annoyance that this healer who knows very well how to, uh, prevent pregnancy is, um, having this happen, uh, and in the middle of a war that she plays a very, um, intrinsic part in to just be like, I mean, you know? like, like birth control is okay. Like, and I know that like Sarah just kind of has like a, a tendency to like write in her books, whatever she's currently going through. And that was like something I think she was currently going through when she was writing this. But like, I think there was, there was a part of me that was like constantly stressed out about the pregnancy th- throughout the entire book. Cause I was like, what are you bringing this? What world are you bringing this baby into? You guys are all convinced you're, you're going to die. You're all convinced you're going to die right now. Um, Irene, like so much of this is shouldered on you and like, and your life's connected to kale. And like, it it was just stressful to me. And I just kept being like the timing guys, the timing, (laughs) the timing is not great. I mean, you know, birth control doesn't always work. Uh, Yeah. Definitely have friends who uh, can attest (laughs) to that. Even getting your tubes tied doesn't always work. So I uh, just, I don't, I don't like baby pregnancy miscarriage as plot devices. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of what it works like towards here. It serves no other purpose other than to add some additional hand wringing about whether or not Kale and Irene should be putting their lives at risk as though their lives don't have value on their own, independent of the fact that Irene's yeah. carrying a child. And especially in like this day and age where um, our own country is, is prioritizing, you know, unborn pregnancies over women. I don't feel very kindly towards it because that really is the only thing it serves. And if you're going to put it in here, show me the baby. I yeah, want to see okay, the baby. So- <laughs> I want to see daddy kale. If you're going to do this to me, show me the baby uncle Dorian. Right. I need I, it. I think you put it in a thousand times better words than I did, but that's exactly how I feel about it. It's just that it feels like it doesn't add anything to the plot. It also doesn't detract anything from the plot. It does nothing. It's there, like you said, just to like stress me out a little bit and and it doesn't end up playing any part whatsoever. And I feel like if you're going to do that, if you're going to have all this hand, you know, all this hand wringing, then something should come from it. Like we, you know, like uncle Dorian at the very fucking least. Unky yeah. Dorian, I want it. <laughs> and Auntie Manon. 
Yeah. Oh my yes. god. Oh my <laughs> man. Now I, someone write that fanfic for me, <laughs> please. Please. Um. Yeah. So, um, I did want to briefly touch on Gabriel, though. Um, Aubrey, since you brought him up, because you know, R.I.P. Um, we didn't deserve him. I don't think Adian deserves him. Honestly, we can talk about Adian next, but mm-hmm. um. Yeah, that just, it really, it hurts his death because, and it's not so because much. of Adian. It's not because of Adian at the end of the day that his death impacts me. It, um, how Lorcan feels about it and how like all the other members of the country. Andres and yeah, all of them. Yeah. Even Aelin, like the vigil. And it's just, yeah. When Elite yeah. comes to Lorcan, like, oh, oh my God, it's all, it's all, so, yeah. it hurts so good. And like you said, like the Adian is just barely a fact. Mostly I'm just mad at him for like, being a shit to his father the entire time and then like regretting it to his father who didn't know you existed yeah but you it's yeah adian man adian um yeah and i know like uh, people give sarah a lot of shit for not killing off mains in this story and you know maybe that's fair but the gabriel one was impactful i felt it i mean yeah, that one hurts when it happens because mm-hmm. just I just wanted him to get to be happy for a little while, and he's so kind, so, kind. so like so kind to Elite the whole time, and just like there, and I'm just he's like, so fatherly to everybody. Yeah. Yes, that you know that like if he'd been given the chance, he would have been mm-hmm. a really good father. Yeah. Um, and I just hate that he doesn't get the time to do that. So. Yeah. Let's talk about his offspring then. Because <laughs> offspring. Oh yeah, this book is a tough look for my boy Adion. Oh, I, I liked him quite a bit going into this, and then this happens, and you're just like, "What is wrong with you, sir?" I'm like, I just have written Adian is a fucking turd. <laughs> okay, we have Lysandra, who has been forced into prostitution her whole life, and says to him. Quite literally, she has never felt more degraded than when he kicked her out of her tent because that's how awful he is. Mm-hmm. Look at look at your life, look at your choices, Adian. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sorry, not everyone filled you in on the plan, bud. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's it's unconscionable behavior from him. <laughs> and I can't forgive it. I can't. No, I, mean, I think he has some right to be mad mm-hmm. at not just at Aelin, he does have a little bit of a right to be mad, a little mad at Lysandra for not telling him, for just expecting that he will, like, willingly, they won't get to have the life that he wanted with her, that instead he'll just play, like, fake broodmare. And I, I think yeah. it's fair that he's angry, but the way that he handles it is so out of bounds. And I know, like, part of it is that he can't be mad at Aelin because she's being tortured, and she's in an iron box, and so he's just, mm-hmm. like, taking all of it out on her. But it's so awful and like that he doesn't even think to process the fact that like Lysandra's best friend is being tortured and she's having to pretend to be her and also like not get to spend the time that she wanted. Like if this happens that she will be trapped as queen, that she's not going to get to live the life that she thought she was going to get to. It's just so selfish. Like, yeah, she's as much of a victim angry. of these circumstances as he is. And I do, I totally agree. I think he has every right to be angry. I think that, I think what, what hurts them, I mean, besides like the, you know, a lot of people can shrug off Aelin's tendency to like keep everything close to her chest. 
he can't and that's just who he is as a person that's fine like I understand I would feel probably hurt and betrayed by all of this too um especially that like he's not going to be able to be Lissage's partner in any like real way um or like what he wants like you said he's just going to be a stud basically to provide her with the correct looking children um and that kind of cheapens their their developing relationship and his feelings for her I totally get all of that um like you said though the the way he's directing his anger Alessandra and treating her like absolute shit when she is as much a victim of these circumstances as he is and that she's losing this too she's sacrificing her entire identity potentially to have to live her life as somebody else forever and he is just so tunnel visioned on his own pain that he's being a little shitbird yeah and I really I want to root for them as a couple because I love to root for ships I can't root for them. Like really, even at the end, I'm just like, okay, great. They're getting married, I guess. Um, But he he doesn't deserve her. Yeah. I just, I don't. And I feel like, I mean, I feel like you kind of can't talk about Adion without talking about Lysandra because most of his stuff is in relationship to her, but like she is killing herself in this Mm -hmm. book for them. I mean, like working as a scout, like showing up as a snow leopard, fighting as a Worven, like she is doing everything she can to keep them alive. And when, you know, even finally when he like gets over it, I'm so glad that she gets to tell him like, oh, now that I almost died, you're finally like realizing Mm -hmm. that, you know, you wish that I was around. Great. Um, But, you know, she does get some pretty bad moments though she does that's great what I don't love too about how it ends up is that like they basically like come back together because a war b like Murrow dies and Adian's really upset and she like goes to comfort him I'm like he should be groveling at your feet it Mm -hmm. should not be the other way around here I will say that in isolation their moments towards the end are very beautiful. They have some very beautiful exchanges. However, the way they show up in my highlights, it's like, it's just the quotes. So I can read them and ascribe them to any other couple yeah. in this series because in isolation, they're beautiful. Sarah knows how to write a good romantic line. That's mm-hmm. never been in doubt. Um, yeah, but it's just, it's, it's a frustrating way. Lysandra deserves better. Yeah. But I'm happy that she gets recognition she deserves at the end of this um we got evangeline doing what aelin told her to do i love that so much so great yeah um i I love evangeline Mm -hmm. also i really like the moment with Knox, who we have not seen since book one and lysandra my kingdom for an actual reunion between him and the real aelin but i do like the scene with lysandra um it's it's very nice how he's just like immediately team Aelin. He's like, yep, yeah, here we go. What can I do? And then yeah. Lysandra puts the whole plan in action and Adian's just sitting there like staring into the ether like, well, what's happening? Because <laughs> he has no value. He's so mad at that <laughs> point. Ah. But anyway. I like, it doesn't add like Knox's presence doesn't add anything to the book really, but I love it so much because it, it really feels like, like what I love in a serious finale of like a television show when they bring back characters yeah. from early on like I love a, a series finale cameo and yeah. that's what Knox is and it, I just love it yeah yeah should talk about Elite and Lorcan before our, our big ticket item <laughs> aka my my treatises that I have on um our last two main characters here but um 
I don't have coherent thoughts about Aaliyah Larkin no. because I cannot handle them. Literally all of the swoon is oh just gosh. every single moment of them. Also, like just the most iconic moment in like any book ever, Larkin cutting up his shirts for Aaliyah to use his pads. It's and he like lets oh. her think it's Gabrielle and mm-hmm. Rowan doing it. I can't. Larkin just... admitting to her that he cr- was crawling after Aelin not me oh my goodness it's, that moment I was just like like uh, I want to throw up I want yeah. to <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and like oh. you see his softness too coming up in other ways like how a lead like makes him see things differently like his reaction to Aelin running to him is visceral his reaction to yeah. hearing the noise she makes when she hears Rowan in his hawk form visceral like he is such a changed person and is like feeling so deeply like it's so good the choice to write that scene from Lorcan's POV is fucking genius yeah yeah fucking genius these two characters that have never connected in any way like the the relief that he yeah. has of and the pain that he feels for her it's yeah it's so much uh, there's there's also some great introspection from Lorcan too throughout this book about like how he he did this and he a lot of these things would have happened anyway but like the guilt that he feels it never goes away and that's um tremendous and leads to him thinking that he's an okay sacrifice to be made in the best scene and like literally all sort of glass mm-hmm. um which is lead going to save him on that horse it's the Perfect. horse scene, which we will probably read in its entirety in, in, its in the entire, yeah. section. Some things I haven't talked about, though, in that section, though, are like r- everyone standing to watch and like holding space and reverence for what she's doing in that moment and what that love means and what that sacrifice means. Ah, mm, too good. Oh, God, it's too much. And then Aelin's like, no. And I feel like Aelin would have gone for the army, but like Aelin goes because of leads out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Let's yeah. be real. Like she goes and saves them because it's a lead and because she loves her that yeah. much, which is just like, yeah, a lead, like our non-powered person um, who is like dealing with like injuries from her horrible, abusive uncle and everybody loves and like respects and just yeah. stands in awe of her. And I just like that she's the best and her relationship with Lorcan is so good. And one scene that like really breaks my heart, like when, when Maeve is taunting Lorcan with like that, that vision of a lead rejecting him and his response to the whole thing is, I think you might be my mate. Like it. (laughs) 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 Um, And I know we'll talk about it too. Like we'll read some quotes from this specific scene, but like the idea that he's willing to bind his life to hers, to her mortal lifespan. And he thinks so reverently about what it'll be like for them to grow old together this is like the most powerful thing like it's him and Lorcan they've been or him and Rowan they've been set up as like the two most powerful and he's like always you could tell a very that was a very big point of pride for him um and he's he is just giving it all up and I'm gonna cry right now (laughs) I can't I can't I can't it's just like unabashedly romantic like it's the most clear-cut yeah. like capital r romance to me yeah mm-hmm. 
I'm never going to forgive Sarah for making their scene a fade to black. Oh my God. Sarah, Janet, how could you do that? (laughs) Like on the one hand, I'm okay with it because I don't really always love a virgin sex scene. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily need to see it, but we could have had like later. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything. We could have gotten a little we bit We deserved. More. We deserved to read a Lorcan sex scene. Just like period. It definitely feels like maybe like the boundaries of YA that she felt yeah. like she couldn't really do it. Yeah. And, you know, based on. The just like smut. on Lorcan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, based on the smut that Sarah has written. I don't know that I necessarily yeah, I you know want probably- Sarah to write it. Yeah. It's probably better that we didn't get it, so we did. We wouldn't get like a maybe bad version of it, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. But if y'all have a have the links, the link links up. to any good fanfic, please hit me up. I need to read it. Ashleyaspod yeah. at gmail dot com. Um, <laughs> no, but I I I do say we didn't really talk about it yet in this book. I do think this book has good sex scenes in it, though. I like the Rowan and Alan scene in this book better than their first time. Yeah. I like the reverence true. in that moment of like he being like, Are you right? Like, I didn't want to presume. Like, it's all very lovely. He's very conscious of yeah. her trauma, um, et cetera. But just, yeah, back to Lee and Lorcan briefly. <laughs> briefly, I'll say. What I think is so special about that ship is that, like, I love Lee. Lorcan, like, by himself, I'm like, hmm. You don't, he does not do it for me specifically. Which is weird because like he has a lot of characteristics that should work for me, but it's just it's that's the sign of a good ship when you like aren't even really fully on board with like the people necessarily, yeah. but you would die for them as a couple. Yeah, and that's our absolutely. match. So, um, on the opposite on the spectrum of capital yeah. R romance, uh, we got dark twisty romance, reluctant romance, which. <laughs> <laughs> We just need the screenshot of, of Aubrey's face. <laughs> I just, guys. <laughs> Isn't it funny, too, that like the three of us, I think, are the biggest Minorian simps yeah. Yeah. Um, that I know. This, this, and I'm very glad that we get to share this. On this this trio loves the Manon and loves the Dorian. And we are very, I'm very happy you're here for us or with us for this, Aubrey, because. Oh boy. We were literally messaging earlier that like every word that Dorian says to Manon in this book is just absurdly, absurdly sexy. Even if it has nothing to do with anything sexual, just every word, every word from him to her, absurdly sexy. I want to like throw my phone across the room. Let's talk first. Let's like bring it back a bit to like their individual journeys in this book though, because they are really good. And I think that's what makes like the sexy times extra sexy. Um, how they come together with that stuff because we'll talk about Manon first. What a what a beautiful capstone on her journey since we met her in um where did we meet her? Air fire. Mm-hmm. Just like making moves, you know, just ruling a bunch of witches. Um, so I'm like, but still being Manon, like literally leading all the yellow legs to slaughter at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um Coles, but I respect it. Uh, it's it's a great move uniting the witches, like undoing oh the curse, basically like 
it's all so good. And, and like you said, Corinne, it's so much better because she doesn't change really as a person. It's like, yeah. like what I really like about the Minori and stuff in this book is there's this constant undercurrent of like, neither of them really Manon not wanting to admit her feelings for him. And it's so much a part of like her arc in this book is like showing her vulnerabilities and admitting her feelings. And that's like, she uses those skills to like unite all the witches to, to show them like a better way forward. And, and yeah. I, I can't even talk about the 13 stuff, but oh God, well, I mean, herself to feel that. And it's, I'm gonna cry again. <laughs> yeah. I think at the beginning of the book, she's talking to Aster and, and like that relationship has opened so much now that she knows what Astron went through with her grandmother and she's talking about like what's she gonna do if they finally like find the Crokins and like how is she gonna get them to follow him and Manon's like Manon is like am I worth following even and Astron's like you have to decide that on your own like you have to be the one to decide that you're worth following and it's that's the book for Manon is like her coming to terms with that and then when she goes to oh gosh they're not the blue the blue bloods I don't know Petra's group yeah of witches and then she talks to them and she's like I have seen this world where like we can all live together and I have seen the possibilities and like that's what I'm gonna I will kill you if I have to but I hope that you will come to fight with me for a better world and then she leaves and she's like I'm not a child of war anymore I'm a child of peace and then we get the 13 after that and just like uh, I mean it's just it's so beautiful like we have this you know we love a hot mean girl we, always we say love that. a hot mean girl and that is Manon but she's also like a person who is learning to see like her whole self and to believe that like she is worth doing all of these things which really like her grandmother has not you know has tried to like beat out of her as much as possible yeah, yeah. watching her push through it's just so beautiful and then do we need to talk about the 13? Yeah. I, I mean, my notes are literally, I honestly can't think, can't even think about the 13 and Aster and Aster and without tearing up. So in lieu of talking about them, I'll just sit here and cry. Thanks. That's <laughs> I'm sticking with that. Yeah. I mean, who cares that no main character dies when the 13 die and it's like still haunts me. Yeah. I mean, you wanted something I cr- yeah. I cried maybe more during that than I have maybe reading any other book. I mean, all you have to do is say the 13 and I get mm-hmm. like emotional, but that moment, I mean, when you watch them go down each one of them, like fighting until it's just Asterin and then I am going to read this now. Sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> the moment when she, it's fine. I'm already tearing when up. <laughs> she starts to make the yielding as she's like going for Manon's grandmother and also taking out the witch tower and they all start to yield at the same time and it, it just Manon is watching and she says and it was not darkness but light light bright and pure as the sun on snow that erupted from Astrid light that flowed from their souls their fierce heart as they gave themselves over to that power and became incandescent with it it's just like this I is, think this is like the biggest like- this is the biggest collective breakdown on the podcast. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, we we know that we've tried very hard to get me to cry on this podcast, and I've already done it twice this episode alone. So we're we're great. No, but just Astrin confronting Manon's grandmother, like like attacking her um, with with unclean the word that her grandmother carved into Astrin's stomach. Um, it just 
I literally, I just don't have words about it. Yeah. It's And it, it makes the moment where, I mean, and then, oh my gosh, the moment where Manon goes to mourn and everybody brings flowers and rocks and personal artifacts and like covers the ground where they were there. And then one of the witches leaves and comes back with a flower from like their land that has been cursed and like it's Manon but it's Manon and the 13 that like break that curse and that's really beautiful and then Manon then goes like and lays it there and like thinks of Astrid and her hunter like walking in the afterlife together knowing that they built a better world and you're just like dang it it's so good I'm like (laughs) but like oh we're going down like dominoes over here guys (laughs) I don't think that this is like necessary. It's not like a necessary step to Manon's arc. Like a lesser writer would like sacrifice all of her friends and that would soften her. That's not what happens. Manon's on this journey. She has a big fight with Dorian, which I think someone has written down their quotes. We'll talk about later when it's like, you do care. Like she cares. She fights it for so long, but then where she gets at the end of this book is like, people are trying to offer her comfort in their own ways here after the 13 dies, but instead the lead who had spent a lot of time with the 13, the lead put a hand to her heart as if it could stop it from cracking, but Manon closed the distance between them. And even with that grief in her battered, bloodied face, she put on a, a hand on a lead's shoulder in comfort as if the witch had learned to do such things. And it's just like, our girl <laughs> says so she doesn't care about anything. She lost her friends and she's going to comfort the lead. <laughs> truly never have more tears been shed <laughs> so that's oh my god I mean, if y'all can see all us on video right crying. now oh my god <laughs> I mean, that's why like whatever criticisms I have of Sarah like she tears you apart with this oh. so beautiful and like Dang, girl. <laughs> I need to go blow my nose a lot. It's great. It's good. Oh my god. It's water. A shot. I know I should oh. be drinking wine for this podcast. Oh yeah. That, that would have been good. I'd probably be crying more. Honestly. Oh, oh golly. <laughs> Hi friend. How you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> rough <laughs> it's rough stuff yeah i think yeah. i'm dehydrated now oh yeah. i don't think we should talk anymore about this we need to move on for our yeah. own well-being um but yes. i will stop about dorian because the the way these two work together and like come together to like be what they both need to be who they want to be like he's we, we talked about how like she's not convincing we'll lead her he has so many like hang-ups about like how he can be a good leader and how he's like failing everything and ah they're just like they're there for each other and and both teach each other in this way that I can't even like articulate because it's so subversive and so different than like a traditional like you can do it and she's like yeah. no you can do it like it's just it's the inverse of that it's, it's all like coded and like it's all, oh, yeah it's yeah. so huh, it's so good um she, he's, he's so well matched. He thinks stirring sexy times. Um, but I think it applies to their whole relationship. He thinks only with her, did he not need to explain only with her? Did he not need to be a King or anything, but what he was only with her, would there be no judgment for what he'd done, who he'd failed, what he might still have to do. 
And it's like, yeah, he's talking about like losing himself and like sex with her at that moment, which is like true, but like, that's what their relationship is. Like they don't need to explain why they're good or why they should be leaders or any of those things because they see each other on such a foundational level. It's just like minor adjustments for them each to get to that point. And it's just, there's like these little moments too, where he like, you know, looks at her. He wondered if the 13 could ever see it, that hint of self-loathing that sometimes flickered across her face. Well, of course he can see it because he loathes himself too. Um, it's just, oh, it's good stuff. Um, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I talked a lot on Tower of Dawn episode about like how Kale's whole like magical fighting off the last bit of Val in him at the end was very much akin to like Aelin's whole like magic journey in Air of Fire. I think Dorian has a little moment like that here when he accidentally summons Caltane, um, which is a beautiful scene. Like one I didn't really think a ton about um, much before this reread where he like apologizes to her for like, not really like seeing her and she's very introspective about it. And was like, I did some not great things. And he like questions how she got the, the collar off and how she was able to like rebel and take down Marath at the end. And it's just, it's, there's really good stuff in there. It's a weird moment of closure that I didn't know that I needed until yeah. I read it. And the yeah. moment where she says like, when he asked her about the collar, I, yeah, it struck me more on the reread this time. And she's like, well, I never really believed that I deserved it. Yeah. And Dorian has to struggle with the fact that, like, he kind of did. And yeah. what does that say? And, like, where does he go from here? Um, it's just, yeah, it's so good. Dorian tucked away the truth she'd thrown at him, the mirror she held up to all he'd once been and had become. He had not been a true prince, not in spirit, not in deeds. He'd tried to be, but too late. He had acted too late. He doubted he was doing much better as king, certainly not when he dismissed Adderlon out of his own guilt and anger, questioned whether it should be saved, as if there were ever a possibility that it didn't deserve to be. He asked at last, am I ready to go to Marath? And then it goes on and says, um, so he so Dorian felt for that tangle in his magic, the place where Rob power eddied and emerged as whatever he wished, let go of the shifting magics commanded, let go of everything, let go of that wall. He built around himself. The moment the vowed prince had invaded him and look within at himself, perhaps what the sword had asked him to do in summoning Caltane instead, who do you wish to be someone worthy of my friends? He said into the quiet night, a King worthy of his kingdom for a heartbeat, snow white hair and golden eyes flashed into his mind happy he whispered and wrapped a hand around maris's hilt let go of that lingering scrap of terror the ancient sword warmed in his hand a friendly and swift heat an arc baby we've got an arc like yeah uh, it's just it's 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 great stuff it's that's his moment of reckoning it's like it's like kale's it's like aelin's it's his moment of like i can do the thing i'm not gonna let this horrible this horrible stuff that happened to me keep me back anymore. And you still see lingering, um, moments of it throughout the rest of the book. He never stops thinking about Sorsha. He never is too far away from that, this dark place he's been to, but he becomes a King like in that moment. And it's, it's great stuff. He's someone in that moment who's willing to make the sacrifices it takes to, um, to go to Morath, try to find the key. And he would have been willing to sacrifice himself uh, with Aelin in that moment where they tried to forge the lock. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just, I love it. it's a lot of growth. And <sighs> then it's just also really fun watching him like manipulate Maeve when she thinks that oh she's manipulating him. Yeah. I just have to say like, it's the so joy. Good. And he just like goes in and is like, Oh, this yeah. is how you travel worlds. Let me take that power away from you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I of just... all the people to like take over their mind, steal like knowledge of power from and like, yeah. Takes the keys and bounces. It's fucking God tier. Like his shit in Morath is so good. It's Um, so good. And also, like on a lighter note, like him shifting, like learning how to shift and stuff. Um, (laughs) of course, his first thought after shifting into a woman's body is like, hmm, maybe I should go (laughs) better acquainted with myself. And then Manon is like, oh, I'm surprised you're not (laughs) playing with yourself right now. Like, I love, I love that. The shifting stuff is so good because, okay, A, first of all, the spider is like, change your eyes to brown. He like immediately thinks of Kale's eyes, which I'm like, again, Mm -hmm. Sarah, you can't tell me this isn't a thing. Um, But then also I like this too. Like he, he wakes up to his eyes having changed colors, like after he admits he cares about Manon. So again, it goes to this, like letting this wall down. What do you want, Dorian? Like, it is okay to want those things. And so yeah. after that confession, he finally is able to start changing. Yeah, it's, it. Ah, yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also while continuing to be um, just unabashedly sexy, I have this written down. Um, and who exactly are you? Dorian gave the witch one of those charming smiles and sketched about Dorian Haviard at your service. The king and one of the Krakens murmured near the wyverns. Dorian winked. That I am too. And I'm just like, <laughs> you charm, Bob. Oh, and this exchange also killed me. This is, um, Manon's like great grandmother. And like, they both are like attacking like the witches at the same time. And it goes, Glennis grinned, that aged face lighting. I struck first. She drew another arrow. Such lightness, even in the face of an ambush. I wish you were my great-grandmother, Dorian Murphy, and ready to next blow. Great stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Our boy. Uh, (sighs) Also learning that his father's, what his father's name was. That his father in like a brief moment of of lucidity named him for himself and oh it hurts and getting to confront Erwan and being like you took his name like mm, mm-hmm. yeah good good, good stuff, stuff. Mm-hmm. um that was actually pretty the week got that pretty wrapped up and we're not in school yeah. yet but yeah. <laughs> I just I have a bunch of quotes written down that are just like like them being horny <laughs> it's great like um if you want someone to warm your bed who cowers at your every word and obeys every command look elsewhere and like they both have a, a similar version of that interaction with each other like both of them like just constantly challenging each other and and forcing each other to like confront aspects of themselves that they don't want to and it's it's all very horny I don't know it's <laughs> it's really good and I love that, like, he goes, God's above, she was beautiful. He wondered when it would stop feeling like a betrayal to think so. And I love, I think, we've talked about this before, that Sarah is really good at um, giving her characters new love interests without ever being dismissive of, like, their pre- the, the importance of their previous relationships. And I really love the respect there that's given to Sorsha and, and Dorian's feelings for her. Him having feelings for Manon does not erase what he had for Sorsha, what he still feels for Sorsha, nor does nor does his you know relationship with Sorsha negate anything that he feels for Manon. 
Yeah. 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 I don't feel like talking anymore. Shut me up then. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My brain, you just have like a great point and I'm like, sex. <laughs> oh, when he kneels, when she gets crowned as queen Woo! of the witches and he kneels her. Oh. <laughs> I think we go yeah. from crying to like. <laughs> well, you know, we start talking about Dorian. I know. It's Dorian. Just, just it is. Any other like general book thoughts anything else you didn't like super touch on um i mean we didn't really talk about fenris oh yeah um i feel like i mean obviously like watching his twin die horrible all of that emotional stuff like i really love him and um Mm -hmm. elin saving him with the blood oath is like such a beautiful moment like their sort of like trauma bond that they have together yeah i also have thoughts about like i don't know if you guys I don't think you guys have talked about it. Um, you know, when I was looking at Fenris, like Sarah loves a mythology reference. Mm. And Fenris is feel definitely feels to me like he's named after uh Fenris Wolf, Fenrir yeah. from Norse mythology, who is chained by a magical chain on an island uh oh. until it's time for Ragnarok when he's gonna swallow the sun and kill Loki. So I don't really think that we get him like killing Loki, but we do get him helping to kill Maeve, and he's definitely like chained on an island with her at the beginning. It feels like Sarah's like, oh, I'm going to make a little Norse mythology reference there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and I, Maeve is such an interesting villain to me at the end because when you find out about like what what happened to her and how she ended up being queen, like she's an awful person. Like there's no question about that like she's horrible she's horrible to all of them um but I feel like there's at least like a little more complexity to her than there is to like Erewhon in her like wanting to escape like a bad situation and then she just takes that cruelty out on other people yeah I also think it's really interesting that um I really do believe that she wanted to keep this world kind of safe from the other from the people from her world like she wanted to rule it in her own right but not even the whole thing she was happy to have her own little like space yeah. there and she was awful like obviously like you said she was awful she did horrible things and she set up a lot of awful things to happen to a lot of people um and it was all purely like selfishly motivated but she did want to keep you know want, wanted to kick arrow on and his brothers out yeah he wanted to keep you know she wanted to keep it's safe kind of in her own way mostly just so she could keep it for herself but yeah, yeah. I just think it makes it complexity there a little more interesting than if she was just like an evil queen mm-hmm. that there's like a backstory there so it was nice to get that in this book and get everything. yeah it's a nice departure from like Amarantha I was just literally thinking that yeah yeah mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so are we are we ready to Wait yeah. to, to <laughs> read you half of the this night. Prepare yourselves for another hour or so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are our favorite quote here. I'll go first because I have like a funny one. Let's do some funny ones first. Fenris, you know, I don't actually know your family name. Fenris threw a roguish wink at the queen, Moonbeam. It is not, Aelin hissed, choking on a laugh. Fenris laid a hand on his heart. I am blood sworn to you. Would I lie? <laughs> <laughs> great reveal great 
I also love this because um, I love the theory that because we know we don't know in Agatar, we don't know Reese's last name. And it's kind of hinted at that it's probably something embarrassing. And I love the like the Crescent City and like all the tie ins that people are making now um, to these universes that I love the theory that his last name is Moonbeam. Yeah. That's a good theory. I love that theory. Abra, what you got? Oh, man. Trying to decide which one to start with. None of mine are funny. Sorry. We're just going to be emotional <laughs> okay. over here. Um, this is a Dorian one. And it wouldn't matter what it, when his eternal soul would be the asking price to staunch so much of the slaughter. He'd already had it wrecked enough. If crossing line after line would spare any others from harm, he'd do it. He didn't know what manner of king that made him. And just our boy. Yeah. 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 That's the name of the game. Yeah. Asia. Fine, fine. We won't try to kill Lorcan for what happened in Aleway and in exchange, we won't invite him to anything. Her grin was nothing short of wicked. I just love, like, I, I feel like I'm clinging to every moment of levity in this book because so much of it is just so devastating yeah. and just emotionally exhausting. So um, them and like having this conversation about like not inviting him to holidays uh, <laughs> because he'll ruin them and he's standing right there. Like just the like the visual my brain conjures of that moment is just it's gold yeah I also like to and she's like you remember how to do this are you too old is it too long (laughs) (laughs) and he's just like glares at her it's good stuff okay what do I have here all the rest of my quotes are reunion based because at the end of the day what I love uh most maybe not most but like what I really love about this book are all of our reunions that we have So I'm going to go in order. These two are in the same scenes. I'm just going to read them at once. No one spoke. His tears began sliding down her face. Not at his being here. Cal realized as he took up his cane and limped towards Aelin, but at him standing, walking, the young queen let out a broken laugh of joy and flung her arms around his neck. Pain lanced down his spine at the impact, but Cal held her right back. Every question fading from his tongue. Aelin was shaking as she pulled away. I knew you would. She breathed, gazing down to his body, to his feet, then up again. I knew you'd do it. It's just such a lovely moment after the hell these two have been on together. Probably the first water works for me in this book. Um, it just, it really means a lot. And to piggy off back, piggy back off of that in the same scene is the payoff of her finally meeting Irene. And this is a very, or meeting Irene again. And this is a very small quote, but for some reason, the softness in it like breaks me every time. Uh, Irene gives her the note which Irene's been keeping in her locket. And Aelin says, may I keep this? She eyed Irene's locket or does it go in there? And it's just like precious. It's so reverent and like charged and just like what a beautiful quiet moment in like this huge war explosion of a book. I just, beautiful payoff stuff there. That scene. Yeah. (sighs) Aubrey. Okay. Um, this one is a long one. I apologize. No, no apologies. For nothing, really. Um, and this is when Aelin is still in the box. So tough times. You must be brave a little while longer and remember her mother placed a phantom hand over Aelin's heart. It is the strength of this that matters. No matter where you are, no matter how far this will lead you home. Aelin managed to slide a hand up to her chest to cover her mother's fingers. Only thin fabric and iron met her skin. 
But Evelyn Ashriver held Aelin's gaze, the softness turning hard and gleaming as fresh steel. It is the strength of this that matters, Aelin. Aelin's fingers dug into her chest as she mouthed, the strength of this. Evelyn nodded. Karen's hissed threats danced through the coffin, his knife scraping and scraping. Evelyn's didn't, face didn't falter. You are my daughter. You were born of two mighty bloodlines. That strength flows through you, lives in you. Evelyn's face blazed with fierceness of the women who had come before them, all the way back to the fairy queen whose eyes they both bore. You do not yield. Ah, it's good stuff. What a great quote. I have, I have are you print. looking for your print? Yeah, <laughs> I have a print on my wall that says you do not yield. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it is such a good moment in like watching when Aelin like damages the coffin after that, like just yeah. refusing. Uh, uh. I wonder if too, to go back to what we kind of talked about at the beginning, about like why we have to put Aelin through that all it's because like that's her kind of like one of her more empowering moments is her escape and everything because like she doesn't really have that big of moments in terms of the end game oh yeah that is something I wanted to mention earlier Mm -hmm. is that like I love I mean obviously there's a plan to get her out and they're right there and they're ready to do it but it's really her that gets herself out um and I think that was really really important yeah all right back to the levity because I need it um Irene at least doesn't seem like the sort to hog the blanket and snore in one's ear all night Irene coughed as Prince Rowan only smiled at the queen. I don't mind your snoring, he said mildly. Um, they're just fucking cute. Uh, <laughs> like, honestly, I could read an entire book of uh, Rowan and Aelin just flirting with each other because they're yeah. so cute. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Rowan. All, yeah. And they're just, they're just flirts. They're so cute. It's, yeah. And there's a lot of big, like you said, capital R romances here. Yeah. Um, Aelin and Rowan are so established already so they could get boring you know if you were thinking about it in that way but the way that they're just constantly flirting with each other like they're just little babies brand new in love it's really sweet yeah yeah speaking of capital R romance moment I could have put this next one in soon but I didn't the world went quiet the approaching rider halted another a beautiful woman Dorian could only describe as golden right behind but Dorian stared at the rider before him, at the posture of the body, the commanding seat he possessed, and as Cal Westfall dismounted and ran the last few feet towards Dorian, the king of Adderlon wept. And so <laughs> did we. And so yeah. did we. Oh my <laughs> god. And on that scene too, where he like introduces Irene, like she's a healer, she's my wife, and like Dorian's briefly sad. It's a lot. Yeah. Anyway. It's a goosebumps yeah. moment. Ugh. Aubrey? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Got a little caught up in that. (laughs) (laughs) This is also an alien quote. This is funny. I do have more alien quotes than you might think. Mm. Um, To give them that slim shred of hope, that will to keep fighting. At the end of this, if that was all she was able to do against Erewhon and Maeve, she could go to the afterworld with her chin held high. She would not be ashamed to see those she had loved with her heart of wildfire. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think you have Aubrey this entire like section in yours um you should just read this part though because it's pretty great okay um Leed's mouth bobbed as she tried to stop her laughing it's just I'm Lady of Paranth if you marry me you will take my family name he blinked Leed laughed again Lord Lorcan Loken it sounded just as ridiculous coming out Lorcan blinked at her then howled she'd never heard such a joyous sound 
It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. He laughs. Uh, I yeah. don't like literally I could like send do like an old school sentence diagram of how many different things in just that passage I love alone. Mm-hmm. It's just it's beautiful. Yep. I love it. I love stuff. Who is it? Brian, you got more? I do have yeah. one more. This is the one for me. Like I have saved a lot of art of this moment. I would like to frame it and hang it because like these are my babies and this I'm going to cry because this moment like literally broke me when I read this book for the first time. She felt as if she had been crying without end for minutes now, yet this parting, this final farewell, Aelin looked at Kale and Dorian and sobbed, opened her arms to them and wept as they held each other. I love you both, she whispered, and no matter what may happen, no matter how far we may be, that will never change. It's just like, I can't, I like love them too much. What like a like bow on eight books with these three. Um, from this Pol- fucking book, man. I swear I was crying like at least once every chapter. Like I found something to weep at, just weeping. Ah, and like, yeah. this is how you end a series. Got it. I, I wrote at the beginning in my notes that this book suffers from the same thing as like Return of the King, which had like the movie has like 20 different endings. This yeah. one does, but mm-hmm. like this, like really is like the very end before like the little epilogue, like where. Rowan opens the window and there's the flowers, etc. Like, yeah. and so the, the reverence and importance of this trio in that moment. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's, uh, I like cry through the end of this. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So this is a urine quote. Um, sorry. I just like these like big cheesy moments. It's fine. Hope. It was the hope that Kale said she carried with her. Hope that now grew in her womb for a better future for a free world. It was hope that had guided two women at the opposite ends of this continent 10 years ago. Hope that had guided Yurin's mother to take up that knife and kill the soldier who would have burned Yurin alive. Hope that had guided Marion Locken when she chose to buy a young heir time to run with her very life. Two women who had never known each other, two women who the world had deemed ordinary, two women, Josephine and Marion, who had chosen hope in the face of darkness, two women in the end who had bought them all this moment, this one shot at a future. For them, Yurine was not afraid. For the child that she carried, she was not afraid. For the world she and Kale would build for that child, she was not afraid at all. Badass, I love her. (laughs) She's so great. She's awesome. Tasia? I'm out. <laughs> and when they all balked, Aelin walked forward, took Irene Westfall by the hand to guide her to the front, then Manon Blackbeak, Ali Loken, Lysandra, Evangeline, Mezrin Felique, Ford and Hassar, and Ansel of Briarcliff, all the women who had fought by her side or from afar, who had bled and sacrificed and never given up hope that this day might come. Walk with me, Aelin said to them, the men and the males falling behind, falling into step behind. And I just have listen, is this pandering girl boss crap? Probably yes. Um, does it also absolutely work for me? 100%. Oh, yeah. It, just, it feels so earned because we've seen mm-hmm. the moments with all of those people. It's not like the moment in like Avengers Endgame where it's like all yeah. the women band together mm-hmm. to get like the Infinity Gauntlet. Like, no, we've seen how foundational each of those women um, are to, to Aelin's journey to get into this point. So. It yeah. works. That doesn't remind me that we did not talk about like Aelin and Lysandra and Ansel's like badass moment where they 
take out all four of the siege towers by like turning two of them on each other and then oh uh, yeah that is really Sandra, cool. like turns into a warven and like takes one out yeah so it feels like in this moment you're like of course these people like bled together they yeah. like yeah. have relationships so it really does work yeah Right. And because like, this is a uh, female centered book by a female author, it feels like different than like a man in like a very male centric universe giving a (laughs) toss in the women a bone. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Oh, do you, uh, is that it? Do do you have any more? I have one. No, I think that, I think that was it for me. All right. Uh, here's the one that I literally cried while I was typing it out at work. Um, cause I'm professional. Her second, her cousin, her friend smiled eyes, bright as stars live Manon. They must all cry again. <laughs> Don't take a chance. It's passing it, Tasia. Oh my God. Can't handle it. Okay. Let's move on here. Friends. Okay. Um, character and arc oh boy um um Aubrey, why don't you go first much, we're all like on yeah. the same page but Aubrey, I'll let you go first yeah so I I put in a shocking move Manon and Dorian <laughs> sure everyone's listening to this is like amazing no <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think Dorian learning to embrace his whole self, to let go of that guilt, to be able to like recognize his past, like like you said, like honor Sorsha and also move on with this relationship with Manon and and to be, be like recognize his ability to be a good king and to do all of this. It's just such a huge thing for him. And that we have Manon, you know, learning to be a leader in a way for people who require like a softness and an openness that she didn't have without letting go of herself and learning to handle politics, which is not something that she's had to do. You know, the two of them, they're, they're doing these things sort of in tandem and pushing each other along the way together. And I just think watching them at the end, it just makes me really happy to see where they end up and what they're going to do. And I would, read like a million more books about the two of them oh my after God, this. yes please yeah, i think out of everybody in this series those two have the most potential for like i know sarah has said she's not going to write in the thronograph glass universe anymore um but i think those two have the most potential the most i guess like future you know possible future stories ahead of them there theirs feels the most like um just not like clearly ended yeah yeah it's so yeah the most like open-ended part of it. There you go. Those really are the words like, I'm trying to think of. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Retweet to all of that. Um, and I totally agree. Um, yeah. I will also just like to like briefly point out though, because we talked a lot about like Aelin and how this book like really isn't about her in so many ways, but like this series is. And I think how uh, this one quote really struck me. Um, comparing it's about Aelin and Manon um, and kind of where they both end up. Um, yet Aelin did not speak again and ask some more questions and Manon realizing it, let her sh- shoulders curve inward, let her head bow as she might never do with anyone else as no one else might understand the weight they both bore in silence. The two Queens stared towards the decimated field, towards the future beyond it. And like, we get like more of that forward progress from Manon in this specific book, but that's really like the trajectory of Aelin's entire eight 
book arc and the parallels between two of them. It really just shows why I love them both so much, like in their journeys here. And they're both like hot me girls in their own way. And they both like do what needs to be done and put themselves through hell, uh, to do it. And so shouts to obviously, uh, Aylin, my girl always and forever. I love her too. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I love like Akatar and I'm really enjoying like the Crescent city books, but I do think at the end of this series, like, I just don't know that I'm as emotionally connected to any other characters as I am the ones here at the end. It's like Aelin yeah. and Manon and Dorian and, and those friendships and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And- <laughs> Our friends. I love you all. <laughs> um, anyway. Speaking of love. Mm, let's Okay. Oh gosh, we all like like my little segue there. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) I was gonna say this one starts off again with some levity. Their couplings were brief, savage, teeth and nails, and snarling, and not just from Manon. (laughs) That's my man. That's my man. Um. Okay. Uh, Aubrey. Sure. Um. (laughs) Melting down. So I'm going to, yeah, pick up the part after he goes, Lord Lorcan Logan, um, and realizes <laughs> what his name is going to be um, after Elite proposes. He swept her up in his arms again, spinning her. I'll use it with pride every damn day for the rest of my life, he said into her hair. And when he set her down, his smile had vanished, replaced by an infinite tenderness as he brushed back her hair, hooking it over an ear. I will marry you, Elite Logan, and proudly call myself Lord Lorcan Logan, even when the whole kingdom laughs to hear it. He kissed her gently and lovingly, and when we are wed, he whispered, I will bind my life to yours, so we will never know a day apart, never be alone ever again. (laughs) 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 Rendering garments over here. Help me. Yeah. Help me. Help. Um, okay. In an unconventional, unconventional sword moment, she saw exactly what not on his empty chest, if only because a similar beast not on her own. And this just goes back to what we talked about earlier about how in sync the two of them are and how um, they're just really well matched. Um, even it's even if it's through like their their darkness and their trauma, it's. I love a well-matched pair. Yeah. While we're on the note of, of darkness and Minorian, um, I don't think anyone else has this full scene right now. I have just the quote, we'll see. I'm not going to read the whole, the whole paragraph there, but like that whole last bit with them, but it is what a perfect end to their relationship it's perfectly them the dancing around each other the mm-hmm. unwillingness to fully admit the extent of their feelings the reluctantly being like it's not that far by wyvern and like blah 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 you reen yelling why don't you just get married <laughs> and we'll see is the perfect response from manon it's up there with like the end of crooked kingdom with kazan and naj for me like for perfect in character bow on top of a romance like it's perfect Mm -hmm. that whole 
scene makes me feel like I'm on fire. I love them so much. It's so good. Just A plus stuff from Sarah. We'll see. Iconic. Yes. Iconic. It's very, I love you. I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Which is great. Now we have not talked yet really on any point of the podcast here about like they they're gonna have the same issue going on that like Leaden um Lorcan had with like the age thing. There's gotta be a way, friends, for that to work out for them. Um perhaps somebody could uh, make some sort of a drop. Yeah. Wow. I want that huh. Hmm. Hmm. Some sort. Some yeah. sort. Anyway, Aubrey, what you got? I think that we all oh, have this, this one yeah. this is so like I'm it just, really this is really i'm just it. gonna yeah. read it yeah because i think i have i have most of it down here i love you he whispered in Aline's ear i have loved you from the moment you picked up that axe to slay the ilkin her tears flowed past him in the wind and i will be with you his voice broke but he made himself say the words the truth in his heart i will be with you always he was not frightened of what would come for him once he tumbled off the horse he was not frightened at all if it meant her reaching the keep. So Lorcan kissed Elite's cheek again, allowing himself to breathe in her scent one last time. I love you, he repeated, and began to withdraw his arms from around her waist. Elite slapped a hand onto his forearm, dug in her nails right into his skin, fierce as any rook. No, there were no tears in her voice, nothing but solid, unwavering steel. No, she said again, the voice of the Lady of Paranth. Lorcan tried to move his arm, but her grip would not be dislodged. If he tumbled off the horse, she would go with him. Together, they would either outrun this or die together. <laughs> so good. I just... Sarah! Yeah. I mean... Uh, oh, God. Just... And we have to remember, too, like, they have been, like, fighting in part this whole book. She's been mad at him for so long. Mm-mm. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> we all just are sitting in tennis. We don't just know like what to do. Like, <laughs> I just don't know what else to say about it. It's uh, so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. I was like, I can like see that scene so vividly in my head. I don't necessarily have the best imagination when it comes to reading. I'm not one of those people who visualize it all. Like I, I, that's not how my brain works when I read, but this one, oh, I see it. It's because I've read it 200 times. Yeah. It's very, very vivid in my head. Anyway. My next one, you know, while we're on the subject. Oh um, God. He said his silent farewell, sending what remained of his heart on the wind to the woman who had saved him in every way that mattered. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. Ooh, okay. Um, I have one more because is there just one more? Uh, would you guys have one more? I'm just trying to see if I only have one Yeah, more. I have one more. One of my I have two more, but one of them is in the middle of Aubrey, so I'll let you do that the whole okay. chunk. But um, okay. I do yeah. have one more. I, can read. I do have one more. I'm just going to do one last shout out to our, our babies, Rowan and Aelin, because this, this stuff, it's nothing new. Rowan has said stuff like this before, but this to me, again, is the crux of their relationship. I know you are a tired fire heart. 
I know that the burden on your shoulders is more than anyone should endure. He took their joined hands and laid them on his heart, but we'll face this together. Arrow on the lock, all of it. We'll face it together. And when we are done, when you settle, we will have a thousand years together longer. That support system, the, the agony and the pain that just runs through their relationship is just, it works for me every single time he could say a thousand iterations of the same thing. And I would simp so hard. It's just, Mm -hmm. yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Good stuff. Um, (laughs) Aubrey. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So Dorian and Manon, you do care, you know, it too. It's what makes you so damn scared of all of this. Her golden eyes raged, but she said nothing. Caring doesn't make you weak, he offered. Then why don't you heed your own advice? I care. His temper rose to meet hers, and he decided to hell with it, decided to let go of that leash he'd put on himself, let go of that restraint. I care about more than I should. I even care about you. Which is just like all that he can get to at that point, but like such a huge thing for him to say. And it feels huge. Yeah. 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 Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like also love the idea too. Like they're just so they're such idiots. Like you care so much. They're just like, uh, like we just like maybe share a tent tonight. Like it doesn't mean anything. Or like we might all have to sleep with the witches like and moss to keep warm, but then we'll just like do it up against the tree. If there's like some line about like exposing like whatever amount of skin that they could like get away with and like the cold. It's just like you ding-dongs. Yeah. We love each other. <laughs> Idiots. I love you. Anyway. Then on that same notation, you have one more here, which <laughs> makes me want to light myself on fire. The king I wish to be is the opposite of what you are. He gave me a smile, and there is only one witch who will be my queen. Ah. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you making those sorts of confessions when you can't even really tell Manon? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, Uh, listeners did not see Corinne just stab the air with a pen. Violently (laughs) clicked it. That's the the reaction this man spurs in me. Oh, God. Uh, Okay. Well, friends. We did it. We did. Kingdom of Ash, eight books, throne of glass. What a journey. Oh my God. It was so much fun. I love this, this last book so much, even if it is a chonk and could yeah. be trimmed. Um, I still love it for the emotional moments it gives us. Um, I think we're going to do a spoiler section because even though we're done with this series, uh, the Saturday Mass Extended Universe is potentially a thing. We won't say more than that here, um, but we're going to talk about it in the spoiler section. So uh, if you have not read the rest of Akatar and Crescent City, turn back now. Otherwise, stay tuned for After This Music Cue. So, like, this book should have been our giveaway that there were a possibility of a crossover here because we, like, very clearly have Aelin after her failed attempt with the lock and the gods and everything like falling through the universe, she clearly sees yeah. recent Feyre. Um, Sarah has confirmed that like, she also sees Crescent city. Like one of the descriptions that she gives of the world she passed through is Crescent city. 
that with Maeve too coming from a different world and very clearly talking about like how different her world was like the writing was on the wall yeah and I think when she sees Farah, Farah is pregnant so like yeah. it confirms that like all three of these series are on the same on the timeline timeline yeah so yeah. if they want to come together they could because I've seen people they're like well maybe they come from like this from Aelin's world and people are like but no it's the same time so they can't be like Manon and Dorian descendants like who are now witches in this other world yeah um yeah I wrote down a few things I was definitely paying more attention to it this reread like thinking about it oh yeah 100% yeah it's uh it's there and I will say like I feel we talked about it and kind of hinted at it you know up top but like the fact that there is more story to be told from Dorian and Manon, like he's got the power, he can make the drop, like all of these things. Yeah. It's right they there. They feel Sarah. like the most logical choices yeah. if she's going yeah. to pull people in from Throne of Glass, which I think she absolutely should because she's pulling in Akatar. Um, I think it, it should be Dorian and Manon. Yeah. I wonder a little bit about like Fenris maybe also coming in to help kill the Asteri, which is part of why I like mentioned that he, you know, kills loki in ragnarok um so like that could be a signal it would be interesting to see him with the wolves um yeah there's also the moment where manon puts the star crown the crown of stars on her head and um she like glows her whole Mm. body glows not just the crown it says that Mm. you know it pulses through her body that starlight and it just made me wonder if she is also starborn if there's like something else there uh, mm. i read that and i was like bryce are we glowing mm-hmm. like bryce i love that connection too because i'm still like team gwen's got a big role to play and like her connection to the starborn like i would get major vibes if there was ever a crossover between manon and gwen like it's manon and elite round two and i'm here for it yeah um Let's see what other stuff. I mean, like we kind of talked a lot about a lot of the big stuff. There's just more clues here. And we know like timeline wise, according to what Sarah said during her last publicity event for Crescent City 2, she came up with the idea for Crescent City and Air Fire. And while she was on tour for Air Fire, rather. So like she's definitely had time to plant these seeds. And my kingdom of ash. Which did that come out before or after Akawar? But like right she was writing them both at the same time there for a while, Akatar and 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 Throne yeah. of Glass. So like it might have I think it came out after Akawar, and then that's why we're seeing Reese and Farah in a court of Frost that's right, that's and Starlight. Right. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It might have even been after Court of Frost and Starlight too. We're all sitting here like we're not on a computer and we can't Google it. <laughs> um <laughs> We are literally doing this on a computer. Wait, here, let's see here. Kingdom of Ash came out in what, like 2018? Yeah, so um, Aquawar came out 2017. A Court of Frost and Starlight was tw- May 1st, 2018. And then Kingdom of Ash was October 23rd, 2018. So yeah, so that makes sense because if this comes up like post Frost and Starlight where they have the discussion about like wanting to have kids... <clears throat> sooner rather than later and then she's pregnant yeah yeah um here makes sense so yeah so she my point being she's 
had lots of time to plant these seeds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're definitely there. I mean, there's the Manon thing, both Caltane and Gavin, um, when Dorian calls them, like mention other gods who rule over the realms they're in. Mm. And it's clearly like not the gods of, you know, who are being banished. Um, So it does make you wonder like, who are those people? Um, I don't know. Some of this stuff about the Valg too felt kind of Asteri-ish. Yeah. I'm like really curious about the relationship between the two of those races. I'm not, yeah, I'm not like as convinced that they're definitely like Valg, but like anymore, now that I've reread it, but like Erwan and the brothers, like they like are somewhat different. I don't know. Yeah. Are they the Asteri? I'm not sure. They're definitely yeah, able to um, like possess people or take yeah. over bodies, like the Asteri. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, like, the, yeah, go ahead. I was just thinking too, like, at the end, like in the last battle here, where she's like opening the portals, which at the time I read it felt very like Golden Compass um, E. Uh, in terms of like kind of through the universes or whatever, but um, that just too kind of is bringing to mind a lot of this like idea of like moving between realms, moving between space. Yeah, come on, Sarah, give it to us. I mean, she says she loves a multiverse. And yeah, done two of them. You might as well do all three. Right. I think people That's will be I'm like. Saying disappointed if she doesn't bring any of the throne of glass characters into yeah. crescent city i think she knows that too yeah i will be one of them yeah, yeah. me too yeah because like you said Aubrey, these people mean more to me yeah at this juncture yeah um yeah hmm <laughs> hmm god how long do we have to wait uh a little too long too long but hopefully yeah i just have so many I mean, like, Damaris is, like, the sort of truth. Yeah. I don't know. Morrigan is the truth. Maybe there's some actual relationship between whatever her power actually is and, like, well, Dorian's sword. Wouldn't that be something? Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Make it actually make sense. I will forgive all of the vagaries <laughs> if she manages to... to wrangle that into something that makes any sort of sense it truly will be the biggest long con in the entire world because one of the criticisms of her all the time is like a like her putting this like putting stuff out there she doesn't like pay back up on like more and that type of stuff but also like the repetitiveness of her stories which a lot of people talk of just like laziness or like lack of creativity but like if it's intentionally repetitive and like these mm-hmm. same things are happening because they're all connected just in different universes. Um, and she loves to talk so much like about how I'll find you in any life, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's all, I don't know. The lady yeah. case for being a genius is what she's doing. <laughs> I mean, props to her, man. If she makes that happen. Oh, and the other thing I noticed was thinking was I Karanam, the bond that Rowan supplies Aelin, the power fire, feels very similar to, like, Hunt's ability to power up Bryce. Yeah. So, like, that same sort of bond-power relationship across yeah. universes. I hope Aelin doesn't have to do anything because she's done enough. No. Like, give yeah. her a break. Leap. But, you know. Aelin's on vacation. Yeah. yeah. 
she's got to keep their world safe while Dorian and Manon go and like do the thing with everyone else. Guys, like send a wellness check to my home. <laughs> if Dorian appears in a, in a <laughs> Crescent City book. <laughs> it's not going to be good. It's going to be good, but it's not going to be good. send wellness checks to all of I won't be able to send. I will also be unwell. I think I'll just be like sending exclamation points via DM to you yeah. all. Like, that's all I'll be able to do. Because <laughs> I was like, I really much. want it. I really want it, but I don't know if she'll give it to me. But like, it's been like a really long time since I've like let I try to like really keep my hype in check for things. Uh, I like to go in with like lower expectations for most things. I can't be hurt to say (laughs) that I have low expectations about like anything else that she's going to give us is a blatant lie. They are so high. (laughs) I mean that the end of the second end of the second Crescent City book, it's just like so shocking and so good. And I just like yelled when I got to it in the book. And now the possibilities that this world has like given us and the possibilities of that crossover. It's so, there's just so much there and like, man, and she's right at the right time too. Cause like multifocials are hot right now. So like, <laughs> here, here's, right now. here's the thing about her too. Like I like to think that I'm a smart person and then I have great ideas and I spent a lot of time thinking about this, but like the end of that book just goes to show I'm not smart. <laughs> like she, she is smart. Like she knows what she's doing. So I just like really look forward to like whatever she possibly can give us because it's something about it will blow my mind. Yeah, and I yeah, think I'm it will be not to yeah okay. overhype it. But her writing yeah. has also gotten better, like consistently yeah. as she's gone on. Not that not that she was ever a bad writer, but it's just like it feels like it's yeah. improved. I mean, I think even when we like read the quotes from this one. Versus like the quotes from the first Akatar that I read, I just feel like she's just stronger. Yeah. And so getting to have Dorian and Manon back, like as she's done even more and like pushed herself even further, I want it. Uh, I want it so all. bad. Yeah, I'm trying to not um, like hope too hard for Dorian to make an appearance in Crescent City, but. I know that if he does, I will like literally scream. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. If we have Dorian and Rune in one book. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. End me. <laughs> mm-mm. Yeah. And so that's like my saving grace, right? Because like if Dorian doesn't come like fine, whatever, because I've, I've got someone who's like hot on his heels as like favorite SJM man for me. So mm-hmm. Yeah. I also haven't always been, if we're going to like, you know, I know there's like a lot of looks comparison between Reese and Rune. I don't think like Dorian's far outside of that aesthetic. He doesn't okay. got violet eyes, but like, I'm just saying it's not, not possible. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm just like emotionally wrung out now. I know. I feel. Mm-hmm. I feel empty. We stopped yeah. so much. Oh my god! <laughs> I think at this point we're just yeah. yeah. This is it's time. Yeah. It's time to go. Yeah. All of our yeah. brains have shut down, and you are probably sick of listening to us, listeners. But friends, <laughs> take a shot every time one of us says yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Shot. 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 <laughs> anyway. Um, Do not send so- us your hospital bill. Sorry. No, that's yeah. We don't have it. We don't have coverage for that.
Aubrey, thank you for joining us and crying with us. Uh, again, it really was a perfect uh, way to end full circle. <laughs> Guys, remember how much we fucking cried? Like, sobbed? So, <laughs> so much. So much. <laughs> thank you into the world good god thank you for letting me share these emotions with other people and not just like me sobbing on my couch the way that (laughs) i do every time i think about the 13th so yeah Yeah, no it's it's a great it's good to have an outlet Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad it's you guys (laughs) aubrey would you like to tell our listeners where they can connect with you online yeah i am obs bobs on twitter and instagram and that's probably the best place. Awesome. Uh, Tasia. You can find me on Instagram at Ragey Cakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram at Actually Age. You can shoot us an email if you like it, actuallyagepod at gmail.com. If you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us wherever you podcast, that would be very helpful to us. Um, this is normally where we announce what we're going to be doing next. I don't want to say we're like going on a summer hiatus because that's not true, but we are also just like going to feel vibes for a while and see what we want to read. Uh, and we'll let you know on socials once we've decided what that is and uh, we record an episode uh, accordingly. Um, this has been a really fun project and we've made it through so many great series and we've loved, you know, doing all of this here, but we're going to just kind of relax a little bit going forward. So if you have any suggestions about things you'd like us to cover, we'd be happy to hear about them from any of the, at any of the sources. We just rattle off for you there, but uh, we'll be back in your feeds and on Instagram, letting you know what's coming next soon. Yeah, we are by no means going away, but we have been operating at kind of an alarming clip that has gotten a little bit exhausting. Yeah. And um, I think we've also kind of reached a natural point where we've covered the major series and books that we have really wanted to, like the reasons that we started this podcast. So we're absolutely going to continue, but we're going to take a little bit easier. But yeah, absolutely. Please email your suggestions, um, hit us up on socials. We want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah we want things that are going to make us at this level of emotion. So you got any of those rocks, hit us up. Um, and I'm sure we'll find some on our own and then we'll be back to talk to you about it. But otherwise friends have a wonderful summer and we'll see y'all soon. Bye. 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 Bye.